This evening we invite you back to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read one more time these verses beginning with verse number 19 tonight. Paul writes, Now therefore, you're no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word tonight. In scriptures, the church is spoken of under various metaphors or figures. It's compared to that of a human body by the Apostle Paul. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he writes to them, and as he does, He says, now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. Ye are the body of Christ. Now, that pronoun ye are is in the plural. So he's, as he writes to the church at Corinth, as he writes these words, he says ye, that is all of you, you all, if you're hillbilly, uh, ye are the body of Christ. Also, it is compared to that of a farm by the Apostle Paul. Paul writing again to the church of Corinth, he writes, For we are laborers together with God. And then note what he says next. He says, Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. You're God's husbandry. You're God's building. You're God's farm. Peter compares the church to a flock. As he closes out his first epistle, he writes in the fifth chapter, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. He was addressing the elders there in that fifth chapter in verse number one. And he says to them, feed the flock of God which is among you. Among you. These metaphors, they portray truths. And in the passage before us, we have had several metaphors which the Apostle Paul has used. He has spoken of one new man in verse number 15 as he spoke of the division between that of the Jew and the Gentile and how that Christ through his death 
had reconciled them together. New creatures in Christ Jesus. One new man. No more Jew, Gentile. Paul also used the phrase one body in verse number 16 of this passage. The idea of unity with regards to the people of God. Jews Jews and Gentiles are having nothing to do with one another and yet now they're one. They're one body. Paul speaks of fellow citizens. Verse 19, he speaks of the household of faith or the family of God uh, uh, in verse number 19. All of these are metaphors which speak of that of different truths. They set before us different truths. Tonight, as we consider the last few verses, and we'll not be going into any great detail or depth, depth for detail tonight in these verses, but beginning with verse number 21, or verse number 20, Paul writes, And you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Here, as Paul pens these verses, he speaks of a foundation, he speaks of a chief cornerstone, he speaks of that of a building, a holy temple. These are all metaphors or language, as Don said, that God is using to get across that of truths unto us. What we want to focus in on tonight, or I want to focus in on tonight, is verse 21. We'll be looking at some of the other verses, but primarily verse 21 where Paul writes, In whom all the building fitly framed framed together groweth unto a holy temple. A holy temple. My subject this evening is a holy temple in the Lord. Now, as we would consider our subject tonight, we would begin by asking some questions about that of our subject. And, of course, the first question that we ask is, who is Paul writing to? Who is Paul addressing here as he speaks of that of this holy temple? Who is he speaking? Who is who, who, who does he refer to as an holy temple in the Lord? Now, the way to answer this question, of course, is very simple. It's by looking back as far as that of what Paul has written uh, thus far. Now, we could we could go all the way back to the very beginning of uh, of the epistle, and we will. But before that, we do that. I would like for us to just go back just a few verses. Uh, back to that of the beginning of the section that we've been dealing with for uh, several weeks now. In verse number 11, Paul, he writes, Wherefore remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, 
who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision of the flesh made by hands, that, that, uh, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. We see immediately, which I've uh, drawn your attention to several times already, that Paul is addressing Gentiles here in this section. Now that's not to say, as we've also said, that the Jews are not in the picture. We might would liken it to them being on the sideline here. It would be like me addressing this side of the congregation, and even though I wouldn't be addressing you all directly, you all would still get the message. You all would still hear me addressing this side of that of the congregation. And that's what I picture here. Primarily, Paul here is focusing in on that of the Gentiles, but that's not to say that the Jews aren't in the picture, that they're not on the sideline. And the reason that I would say this to you is that of the way that Paul writes here. He says in verse 11, Wherefore, remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. I believe that the Gentiles here, they knew who Paul was speaking of here. And I believe that they were in the picture here. The, circum the circumcision. The Jews. But I believe that these ones to whom he was addressing, that they were believers. Both Gentiles and Jews. Believers in Jesus Christ. And Paul, as he addresses that of the Gentile believers with the Jews, they're on the sideline, but they're hearing that of the message. They're hearing the message that God has reconciled them together, Jew and Gentile, as one. But they're not being addressed directly, but they're getting the message. But as we go back a little bit further to chapter 2, verse 1, he writes, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sins, where in times past you walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Here, I believe we could say that the address here is a much, is indeed a wider audience that of the extent that he is addressing that of the whole audience here together. He's addressing both Jews and Gentiles. Paul here, uh, he includes himself as he gives a description of that of the past of the Ephesian saints. He includes himself as that of also being that of ones 
who walked according to the course of this uh, world. He says, among whom we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So here, it seems like that the picture is a little bit broader in, in one sense, that we have both Jews and Gentiles. You say, well, Brother Steve, I thought you said that was the case in verse 11. It is, only the Jews are kind of on the sideline there. They're not being addressed directly. Here, I believe that both groups are. Then if we go back to the very beginning of the epistle, in verse number 1, we have Paul identifying himself. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, this introduction to this epistle is somewhat different from some of the other letters that Paul penned. Paul identifies himself here And he identifies those to whom he is writing to. But as he identifies them, he doesn't say here to the church at Ephesus like he does in the epistle to the Corinthians. Paul, an apostle. Let's turn over there and read that. That of 1 Corinthians. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. There, Paul addresses the church at Corinth. Here, he addresses the saints which are at Ephesus. Now, if you have read any upon that of the epistle, various commentators, you find that many of your commentators, they believe that the epistle to the Ephesians, this epistle was a circular letter. What I mean by a circular letter is, is that it was one that Paul used, and it was like that of a you know, letter that we sometimes do up you know, on the word processor. And we leave, we leave that of the address open, so to speak. That way we can put whatever name uh, that we want to put in that of the addressing area that we want to address the letter to. And that way we can have that same letter used over and over and over and over. Well, there are, there are various writers or commentators who believe that this is exactly was what happened here with the letter here to the Ephesians. We know that the epistle is addressed to the saints at Ephesus. What else do we know? What do we know about Ephesus? We know that Paul went to Ephesus and preached there in the book of Acts. 
We know that he had an extended ministry there at Ephesus. I believe over in Acts, he, he, he speaks of that of three years or three and a half years uh, that he had gone door to you know, house to house preaching that of the gospel when he was addressing who? He was addressing elders. In Acts chapter 20, we have the account of Paul coming to Troas, and when he comes to Troas, he, he has called for the elders to come from Ephesus. And he gives his parting departure, his departing words unto them. And if you turn over there to Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20, and in verse Verse 18, he writes, And when they were come to him, that is the elders from Miletus, uh, from Ephesus. I get verse 17, it says, And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. I said Troas. Uh, and when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came into Asia after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And then skipping down to verse number 28, he says, Now take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all of the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God which He has purchased with His own blood. Now, our point here in drawing your attention to these words here in Acts chapter 20 in the history here is to point out to you that the history of Acts tells us very clearly that Paul was at Ephesus, that he had been at Ephesus, that he preached there at Ephesus, that he had a ministry there at Ephesus, and that there was indeed that of an assembly. There was a flock of believers, Jews and Gentiles. Now, Acts chapter 2, verse 1 now, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, we read about the angel of the church at Ephesus. The angel of the church at Ephesus. So there was a church at Ephesus. Even though as we come to the book of Ephesians and we come to that of the initial address here as Paul begins this letter, he doesn't identify that he's addressing the church. He's addressing the saints at Ephesus. 
In reality, that is the church there in Ephesus. Those saints. Those Jews and Gentiles who were believers in Jesus Christ. That was the flock. That was the community of believers that was there at Ephesus. So Paul here, as he as we come back to our text, Paul as he addresses that of the saints at Ephesus, which would include both Jews and Gentile believers, he says, Now therefore you're no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and you are built. You are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. Beloved, the foundation, Paul says, that which you stand upon, which is that of a, indeed, a sure foundation, because it is indeed the apostles, it is the prophets, and that of Jesus Christ, who is the cornerstone, who holds it all together. He says, that's what you stand upon. That's, that's what is your foundation of your faith. You're built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself, being the chief cornerstone. The apostles. Paul. We said he was in Ephesus. He went there and he preached. There's a passage over in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2, I believe it is. Verse 1, he says, of chapter 2 of Hebrews, it says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the words spoken by the angels were steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken of by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to His own will. How shall we escape if we neglect a great, so great a salvation which was first began to be spoken of by the Lord and was confirmed by us by them that Heard him. Who was it that heard him? Who was it that walked with Jesus during his ministry for three and a half years? Was it not the apostles? Was it not the apostles? Beloved, 
we stand upon that of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ being the cornerstone, that of the foundation, beloved. What is, what is the church, church's foundation? Is it not Jesus Christ? There is no other foundation, beloved, than that of Jesus Christ. Next, His apostles and prophets. So Paul, as he writes to that of the saints at Ephesus, he tells them the same thing. He says, what, you're, what you stand upon is not a foundation that is unsure. It's a sure foundation. It's upon the apostles and the prophets and Jesus Christ who is the chief cornerstone. In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the world, in whom ye also, ye also note those words, ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Speaks of a building, whom all the building fitly framed, framed together groweth unto a holy temple in whom ye are. You're, that's who you are. You're building together. That building, that temple, as a holy temple, a habitation or a dwelling of God through the Spirit. Now there are several things that we want to draw your attention to here. And to do so, we need to go to some other passages of Scripture. I invite you to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Corinthians chapter 3, Paul was writing, as we said, to the church of God at Corinth. And in verse number 16, he writes these words, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Who is Paul writing to here? He's writing to the church of God at Corinth and he tells them, ye are the temple of God. Almost identical to that of what he writes to that of the saints at Ephesus, which we know made up that of that church at Ephesus. Ye are the temple of God. And the Spirit of God dwelleth. You're a habitation for the Spirit of God. Now we invite you to that of First Peter chapter two. 
First Peter chapter two. And we'll read verse let's back up to verse number one. Peter says, Wherefore laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speaking as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a lively stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Now you say, well, who is Brother Peter addressing? You look over in the very first part of the, of the book. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Beloved, he's addressing that of those who were believers in Jesus Christ who were scattered throughout these providences. Now, how, how was he addressing them? He was addressing them by addressing them to them that of this epistle. Was it on an individual basis? Or was it on that of a basis upon that of saints of God, communities of those who were believers throughout that of these providences? As we think of the book of First Peter and Second Peter, that of James. These book are, books are considered as general epistles. Not addressed to that of a church, so to speak, but addressed generally. So Peter here, he says, he also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house. Living stones. He says, you, you, you saints of God are. Living because they have been given life, quickened by the Spirit of God. Born of the Spirit. Born of God. God's people. God's children. That's who they were. He says you're built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. All right, let's come back to that of Ephesians chapter 2 for a moment. And let's once again, perhaps for Maybe the last time. Think about who Paul is addressing here and the situation that he's, he has contrasted. 
He's contrasted that of the Gentiles and the Jews, that of their statuses, and how that that is no more. They're one new men, one new man. They're all new creatures in Christ Jesus. They're all one. They're one body. They're fellow citizens. They're members of God's family. The temple is it's going away. It's going away. That division amongst that of the Jews, the men and the women, and then the Gentiles, gone. It's gone. No more. One in that of Christ Jesus. What a change. Remember, remember what the Lord said to the woman at the well? In John chapter 4, Jesus went to the Samaritan woman. spoke to the Samaritan woman. He went through Samaria. It was necessary. A necessity, the scripture tells us, that he goes through there. In John chapter 4, and in verses 19 through 24, it says, The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. He's speaking to Jesus. Our fathers worshipped in the mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus says unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither work in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jew, but the hour cometh, and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Jesus told the woman, she, she, she knew how to worship there on that mountain. Jews, place of worship was a temple. He says there's coming a day when that will no more be. Temple will be gone. The temple is gone. You know, as you look in the New Testament, after Christ died upon the cross, and after he arose from the dead, he came and he appeared to the, his disciples, a number of saints. Then, of course, he ascended back, ascended up into the heavens. There was a drastic change that took place. It didn't take place immediately. 
but there was a change. The temple was still there, but everything had changed drastically there at the temple. Hadn't it? And as time progressed, as you read the book of Acts, you see you see that of things changing. You see that of the apostles going forth, men going forth preaching the Word of God and men and women being saved. And you begin to hear of this, an assembly over here, an assembly over here, that of an assembly over here. Everybody wasn't going to Jerusalem because persecution came to Jerusalem and scattered all the, all the people, didn't it? Scattered, scattered those that were believers in Jesus Christ. There was a purpose in that scattering. Didn't have to come to Jerusalem to worship anymore. Didn't have to come to the temple anymore to worship. The Lord's church is found throughout the world. His assembly is found throughout the world. Found. And their assemblies are habitations of God. God dwelling there. God, this, is, this building is nothing. It's just a building. But we who are the ones that make up the assembly here, we're in a temp, holy temple unto the world. There's other assemblies throughout the world just like us. What do you think when you think of a temple? Think of God's presence. Think of worship. Think of worship. Beloved, as God's people, as they assemble together, they assemble for worship. And they are a holy temple unto the Lord. They are a people set apart unto the Lord and to that of His worship and service. Um, we'll stop there. Alright, let's stand and we'll close with Amazing Grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found, was blind, 
but now I see. Oh, I'm going to ask Brother Don if he'll be closing with a prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to praise Thee, Lord, offer our thanksgiving to Thee, Lord, to express our devotion, our adoration for Thee as our Father, as the lover of our souls. Father, we thank You for the gift of the Holy God Son. Father, for the Holy Spirit that proceeds from Thee and Thy Son to us for the new life we have in Christ Jesus, that we are new creatures in Christ built upon the foundation of Christ Jesus, Lord, with the apostles and the prophets, giving us, Lord, Christ's doctrine, following praise you for, uh, Lord, this holy temple that uh, you uh, have created and fashioned. Uh, Lord, we know the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Uh, Father, we thank you for it, for its uh, witness, the light that it gives here in dark, dark world. Father, we know that Christ Jesus loved the church and he gave his, shed his blood for it. Father, we know that the church is his bride and that he is coming to receive his bride to himself. Father, we anticipate the marriage supper of the Lamb. church will be presented in all the glory and in the white righteousness of the saints. Father, we anticipate this day for the communion around the table with me. Father, we pray that in the end be faithful or may we be useful in the service of thy kingdom. Afraid, unashamed, willing to bear the approach of Christ. Lord, we do pray for the gospel. Lord, may it go forth powerfully from this place, from thy churches all over the world. Lord, we pray that with my wings, final days, Lord, may your people be revived, reformed, Lord, may loss be given life or be called into thyself or we pray that you would honor and glorify yourself mightily that your movement would be powerfully experienced by the church or churches or by each of its members. Now Father we do commit our families to be pray your blessing on many more language in their lives. Father, we bless your people all around the world, especially those who are under trial, very affliction. Father, we pray for 
chair on for her mother, Lord, maybe give her healing, restore her health. Lord, maybe be pleased to extend her days. Lord, bless the gospel to Carl's heart. To Stephen, Lord, deliver him from addiction, from slavery, alcohol, from substance abuse. Lord, we pray to bless him each of our children, Lord, we love and dearly, our grandchildren, we pray the gospel and come to them. Father, forgive us when we fail you. And you know your communion, your fellowship, your communion of the like your Son and the Holy Spirit for us Lord, may you cause your face to shine upon us, we ask. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Mm-hmm. I know it wasn't.